Hello and welcome to episode 56 and chapter 41 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast in the Amulet of Samarkand. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them. Today is a them, them, the, 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 the. <laughs> they, them kind of day. Tongue tied and twisted. And I am Kritishai. My pronouns are she, her, sprinkle, they, them. Today is... I'm here. <laughs> you might hear my cat sneezing in the background. His name is Nugget. We believe his pronouns are primarily he, him. He has not corrected me yet on the matter. If you'd like to follow us on our social media, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You can find links to our socials, you can find a link, uh, link to our website, you can find a link to our podcast feeds, including our anchor, where you can leave us voice messages if you so choose, which we would love to be able to feature here on the podcast. And you can also find a link to our Twitch, where you can come and join us at 9am Mountain Time on Wednesdays if you so choose. Yay! And join in the unfiltered excitement, uh, as opposed to what you guys get on the YouTube channel and the podcast episodes. So, we have, after this chapter coming up, three more chapters left, which means one more recording session. How are you guys Aye. feeling? Oh my god. Weird. Excited. Well, well, here's the thing. I'm not... I'm not... I understand the format we're doing so that way we don't do burnout yeah. from a book series. The issue is I'm not used to doing like reading one book mm -hmm. and then knowing there's more in the series mm -hmm. and then not going to the next book. You want to mm -hmm. go to the next book. I'm right, there, the I'm right there with you, but this is what we have decided. If we decide to change that, we can change mm -hmm. that, but this is what we've decided we are going to do so we don't get burnt out on one specific story. Mm -hmm. I know, but this also means that we can't do an interview with Jonathan Stroud until we've read all of the books in this series. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I still need to, at least one of us still needs to make a tweet about that. I will do so since I've been the one tagging him the most. Uh, we don't want to, like, inquire about it. Mm -hmm. So Just inquire about it, but make it clear that we're not ready right now. We want to get through the rest of his books, but mm -hmm. that may be a bit... You know, that, that may be coming like further on down the line, but ask him yeah. if he's potentially interested in it. With that yeah. being said, I'm thinking we should get on with chapter 41. Oh, yeah. No, we should get on with chapter 42. Which I mean, we could. We're on yeah. chapter 41. <laughs> Lady Punnett's being a dink. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Narrator, Ooh. please take it away. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book 1, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by The Reading Dragon, voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blaze Wayne 2010, Lady Punnett, and Critter Shy. Chapter 41 Bartimaeus From the moment we got inside, the fateful hall and its boundary was sealed, events happened fast. The boy himself probably never got a good look at the setup there before it changed forever. But my senses are more advanced. Of course. Oh. I took it all in. Every detail. 
in the briefest of instants. Show off. First, uh, where were we? Well, by the locked door on the very edge of the circular glass floor. That's where we're at. This glass had been given a slightly rough surface so that shoes gripped it. But it was still clear enough for the carpet below to be beautifully displayed. The boy was standing right above the edge of the carpet, a border depicting interlocking vines. Nearby, and at intervals around the whole hall, stood impassive servants, each one beside a trolley heavily laden with cakes and beverages. Within this was the semicircle of chairs that I had seen from the window, now groaning under the assembled bottoms of the magicians. They were sipping their drinks and half listening to the woman, Amanda Cath Cathcart, who was standing on the podium in the center of the hall, welcoming them all there. At her shoulder, his face, expre his face expressionless, was Simon Lovelace, waiting. The woman was wrapping up her speech. Amanda Cathcart, you're up. Am I Amanda Cathcart? I think you are. Okay, so... <clears throat> Last, I hope you will not mind my drawing your attention to the carpet on display below. We commissioned it from per Parisia. Persia. Persia, and I believe it is the biggest in England. I think you will find yourselves all included if you look carefully. Murmured approval. A few cheers. This afternoon's discussion will last until six. We will then break for dinner in the heated tents on the lawn outside where you'll be entertained by some Latvian sword jugglers. Enthusiastic cheering. Thank you. May I now hand you over to your true host, Mr. Simon Lovelace. You dick. Ah, strained and ragged clapping. <laughs> While she droned on, I was busy whispering in the boy's ear. I was a head louse at this point, which is pretty much a, which is pretty much as small as I can go. Why? <laughs> well, because I didn't want the Afrit to notice me until it couldn't be avoided. She was the only other world being currently in evidence. For politeness sake, all the magician's imps had been dismissed for the duration of the meeting. But she was bound to see me as a threat. Footnote number one. I think I will give... Uh, Crittershy, how about you and I alternate between footnotes just so that way you have some lines this chapter too. Sure. So you take the first, I take the next, and so on and so forth. That works. In both senses. I can tell you... I've been in some sticky places in my time, but for sheer waxy unpleasantness, his earlobe would be hard to beat. <gasps> oh, gross. Earwax. This is your last chance, I said. Whatever Lovelace is going to do, take it from me. He'll do it now, before the Afrit picks up the amulet's aura. 
He's got it round his neck. Can you creep up behind him and pull it into view? That'll rouse the magicians. The boy nodded. He began to sidle around the edge of the crowd. On the podium, Lovelace began an obsequious address. Obsequious. Lovelace began an obsequious address. Prime Minister, ladies and gentlemen, may I say how honored we are? We were now at the edge of the audience, with a clear run down the edge of the magician's chairs toward the podium. The boy started forward at a center, with me urging him on like a jockey does a willing, if stupid, horse. But as he passed the first delegate, a bony hand shot out and caught him by the scruff of the neck. Uh, it's Jessica Whitwell, which I believe is Lady Planet. Oh, right. Was that the bitchy lady? Yeah. Okay. And where do you think you're going, servant? I knew that voice. For me, it's brought back displeasing memories of her mournful orb. It was Jessica Whitwell. All cadaverous cheeks and cropped white hair. Ah, Nathaniel struggled in her grip. I wasted no time, but motored over the top of his ear and down the soft white skin behind it, making for the grasping hand. Nathaniel wriggled. Let me go! It is a delight and a privilege! As yet, Lovelace had heard nothing. How dare you to seek to disrupt this meeting! Her sharp nails dug cruelly into the boy's neck. The head louse approached her pale, thin wrist. You don't understand. Nathaniel choked. Lovely says... Silence, brat! Glad to see you here. Sholto Pin sends his apologies. He is indisposed. That's a new voice. Put him in a stricture, Jessica. This was a magician at the next chair along. Deal with him after. I was at her wrist now. Its underside ran with blue veins. Headlights aren't big enough for what I had in mind. I became a scarab beetle with extra sharp pincers. I bit with gusto. The woman's shriek made the <laughs> chandeliers jaggle, jangle. She let go of Nathaniel, who stumbled forward, nearly jolting me from the back of his neck. Lovelace was interrupted. He spun around, eyes wide. All heads turned. Nathaniel raised his hand and pointed. Watch out! He croaked. Ugh. The grip on his neck had nearly throttled him. Lovelace has got the end. A web of white threads rose up around us and closed over Nathaniel's head. The woman lowered her hand and sucked on her bleeding wrist. You let up, son, I can't. He's going to kill you all. I don't know how, but it's going to be horrible and... <sighs> Warily, the scarab beetle tapped Nathaniel on the shoulder. Don't bother, I said. No one can hear you. She sealed us off. He looked blank. Not been in one before? Mm. Your lot do it to others all the time. Footnote number two. 
the threads of stricture mm-hmm. stricture the threads of stricture act as a seal they allow no object or sound to escape their cocoon it's kind of a temporary prison more usually employed on unfortunate humans than on jinn i was watching lovelace his eyes were locked on nathaniel and I caught doubt and anger flashing across them before he slowly turned back to his speech. He coughed, waiting for the magician's chattering to die down. Meanwhile, one hand edged toward the hidden shelf in the lectern. The boy was panicking now. He lashed out weakly at the rubbery, at the rubbery walls of the stricture. Keep calm, I said. Let me check it. Most structures have weak links. If I can find one, I should be able to break us out. I became a fly, and starting at its top, began to circle carefully across the structure's membranes, looking for a flaw. But we haven't time. I spoke gently to quiet him. Just watch and listen. I didn't show it. But I was worried myself now. The boy was right. We really had no time. Next section. Nathaniel. But we haven't time. Nathaniel began. Just shut up and watch. The fly was buzzing frantically around their prison. It sounded delightful, decidedly panicked. Nathaniel had barely enough room to move his hands and nowhere near enough to do anything with his legs or feet. It was like being it was like being inside a mummy's case or an iron maiden. As he had this thought, the terror of all constricted things bubbled up inside within him. Bubbled up within him. He suppressed a mounting urge to scream, took a deep breath, and to help distract himself focused on events around him. After the unfortunate interruption, the magicians had turned their attention back to the speaker, who was acting as if nothing had happened. In turn, I would like to thank Lady Amanda for the use of this wonderful hall. Incidentally, may I draw your attention to the remarkable ceiling with its collection of priceless chandeliers? They were taken from the ruins of Versailles after the French Wars and are made of adamantine crystal. Their designer... Lovelace had a lot to say about the chandeliers. All the delegates craned their necks upward, making noises of approval. The opulence of the, opulence of the hall ceiling interested them greatly. Nathaniel addressed the fly. Have you found a weak point yet? No, it's been well put together. It buzzed angrily. Why did you have to get yourself caught? We're helpless in here. Helpless. Yet again. Nathaniel bit his lip. I assume Lovelace is going to summon something. He said. Of course. He's got a horn for that purpose. So he doesn't have to speak the incantation. Saves him time. What will it be? Who knows? Something big enough to deal with that fleet, presumably. Again, panic struggled in Nathaniel's throat, wrestling to be loosened in a cry. 
Outside, Lovelace was still describing the intricacies of the ceiling. Nathaniel's eyes flicked back and forth, trying to catch the gaze of one of the magicians, but they were still absorbed in the marvelous chandeliers. He hung his head in despair and noticed something odd out of the corner of his eye. The floor. It was difficult to be sure with the lights glaring in the glass, but he thought he could see a movement on the floor, like a white wave rapidly traveling across it from the far wall. He frowned. The stricture's membranes were getting in the way of his vision. He couldn't be sure what he was actually seeing, but it was almost as if something was covering the carpet. The fly was wheeling about near the side of his head. One crumb of comfort, it said. It can't be anything too powerful, or Lovelace would have used a pentacle. The amulet's all very well for personal protection, but the really strong entities need to be carefully contained. You can't afford to let them go running loose, or risk total devastation. Look what happened to Atlantis! Nathaniel. Nathaniel had no idea what had happened to Atlantis. He was still watching the floor. He had suddenly become aware that there was a sense of movement all across the hall. The whole flooring seemed to be shifting, though the glass itself remained solid and firm. He looked between his feet and saw the smiling face of a young female magician move quickly past beneath the glass, closely followed by a stallion's head and the leaves of a decorative tree. It was then that he realized the truth. The carpet was not being covered. It was being drawn back, quickly and stealthily, and no one else had noticed. While the magician's gaze gawping in while the magicians gazed gawping at the ceiling the floor below them changed um Bartimaeus he said what I'm trying to concentrate the floor oh the fly settled on his shoulder that's some bad as Nathaniel watched the ornately twinning border passed below him, then the carpet's tasseled edge itself. It moved off, revealing a gleaming surface below, perhaps made of whitewashed plaster on which great runes were inscribed in shining black ink. Nathaniel knew immediately what they were standing on, and one glance across the room confirmed it. He saw sections of perfectly drawn circles, two straight lines converging at the apex of a star, the elegant curving lines of runic characters, both red and black. A giant pentacle, he whispered. And we're all inside. Nathaniel, said the fly. You know I told you to keep calm and not bother waving or shouting? Yes. Cancel that! Make as much movement as you can. Perhaps we can attract the attention of one of these idiots! Nathaniel jiggled about, waving his hands and jerked his head from side to side. He shouted until his throat was sore. 
Around him whirled the fly, its body flashing in a hundred bright warning colors. But the magicians nearby noticed nothing. Even Jessica Whitwell, who was closest, still gazed at the ceiling with starry eyes. The terrible helplessness that Nathaniel had felt on the night of the fire flooded over him again. He could feel his energy and resolution draining away. Why won't they look? He wailed. Pure greed, the fly said. They're fixated with the trappings of wealth. This is no good. I try a detonation, but it would kill you at this range. No, don't do that, Nathaniel said. If only you'd already freed me from the indefinite confinement spell, the fly mused. Then I could break out and tackle Lovelace. You'd be dead, of course. But I'd save everyone else, honest, and tell them about your sacrifice. It would. What is happening? Nathaniel's eyes had already been drawn to Lovelace, who had made a sudden movement. From pointing at the ceiling, his hands now descended to the back of the lectern with feverish haste. He drew something out, whirled, hurled its covering cloth to the floor and raised the object to, its, to his lips. A horn, old, stained, and cracked. Sweat beaded his forehead. It glistened in the light from the chandeliers. Something in the crowd gave an inhuman roar of anger. The magicians lowered their heads in shock. Lovelace blew. Next section, Bartimaeus. Oh boy, when is the this, COVID... Oh, what? Go ahead. This is, this is interesting, because it shows, like... The uh, I, I'll go into about writing narrative later, but yeah. Okay. Keep going. Just make a note of it. Yep. Oh, when the carpet drew back and the giant summoning pencil was revealed, I knew we were in for something nasty. Lovelace had it all worked out. All of us, him included, were trapped inside the circle with whatever he was calling from the other place. There were barriers on the windows, and no doubt in the walls as well, so there was no chance any of us would escape. Lovelace had the amulet of Samarkand, and with its power, he was immune. But the rest of us would be at the mercy of the being he had summoned. I hadn't lied to the boy. Without the constraining pentacle, there was a limit to what any magician would willingly summon. The greatest beings run amok if they're given any freedom. And Lovelace's hidden design meant that the only freedom this one was going to get would be inside this single room. Footnote number three. One of the worst examples was the Mycenaean outpost of Atlantis on the island of Santoni in the Mediterranean about 3,500 years ago, if memory serves. They wanted to conquer another island, or some predictable objective like that, so their magicians clubbed together and summoned an aggressive entity. They couldn't control it. I was only a few hundred miles away on the Egyptian delta. I heard the explosion and saw the tsunami waves come roaring across the deluge to the African coast. Weeks later, when things had settled down, the pharaoh's boats sailed to Santorini. The entire section of the island, with its peoples and its shining city, had sunk into the sea. 
all because they hadn't bothered with a pentacle. Not to mention that lovely little mushroom cloud that appeared just before. I think it would have been an implosion, actually, not an explosion. Although a mushroom cloud does paint an interesting image of a nuclear bomb. It might as well have been. Just saying. Just saying. Also matches the damage that they have described as being done. Yes. Anyways, moving on. Anyways, that's what you get for being lazy. But that was all the magician needed. When his slave departed, he alone of the great ones of the government would be left alive, ready to assume control. He blew the horn. It made no sound on the way of the seven planes, but in the other place, it would have rung aloud. As was to be expected, the Afrit acted fastest. Even as the summoning horn came into view, she let out a great bellow, seized Rupert Devereux by the shoulders, and flew at the nearest set of windows, picking up speed as she went. She crashed into the glass. The magical barriers across it flared electric blue, and with an impact like thunder, she was propelled back into the room, head over heels with Devereux, spinning limply in her grip. Oh, dear. Oh. Is the Prime Minister. Yep. Mm-hmm. Lovelace took the horn away from his lips, smiling slightly. Dick. The cleverer magicians had understood the situation the instant the horn was blown. With a flurry of colored flashes, imps appeared at several shoulders. Others summoned greater assistance. The woman by our side was muttering an incantation, calling up her genie. Lovelace stepped down carefully from the podium, his eyes trained somewhere high above. Light danced on the surface of his spectacles. His suit was elegant, unruffled. He looked no... He took no notice of the consternation... Consternation, yeah. He took no notice of the consternation all around. I saw a flicker in the air. Desperately, I threw myself at the edges of the web that surrounded us, searching for a weakness, finding none. Another flicker. My essence shivered. Next section, Nathaniel. Many of the magicians were on their feet now, their voices raised in alarm, heads turning from side to side in bewilderment as thick iron and silver bars slid into position across every door and window. Nathaniel had long since stopped bothering to move. It was clear that no one would take any notice of him. He could only watch as a magician some way in front slung his chair to one side, raised a hand, and shot a ball of yellow flame at Lovelace from a distance of only a couple of meters. To the surprise of the magician, the flame altered its course slightly in mid-air and disappeared into the center of Lovelace's chest. Lovelace, who was staring intently up toward the ceiling, appeared to have noticed nothing. The fly buzzed back and forth, butting its head against the wall of the stricture. That's the amulet's work, it said. It'll take whatever they throw! Jessica Whitwell had finished her incantation. A short, stumpy genie hovered in the air beside her. It had taken the form of a black bear. She pointed, yelled an order. The bear moved forward, 
through the air, paddling its limbs as if swimming. Other magicians sent attacks in Lovelace's direction. For, ha for perhaps a minute, he was the center of a lightning storm of furious, crackling energy. The amulet of Samarkand absorbed it all. Lovelace was unaffected. He carefully smoothed back his hair. The Ifrit had picked itself up from where it had fallen, and, having set the dazed Prime Minister lolling on a chair, leaped into the fray. It flew on speedy, shining wings, but Nathaniel noticed that it approached Lovelace on a peculiar circular course, avoiding the air directly above the podium. Several magicians had by now reached the door of the hall and were vainly straining at the handles. The Ifrit sent a, a, the Ifrit sent a powerful magic toward Lovelace. Either it went too fast or it was primarily on a plane he could not see. But Nathaniel only saw it as the suggestion of a jet of smoke that crossed to the magician in an instant. Nothing happened. The Ifrit cocked its head, as if bemused. On Lovelace's other side, the black bear genie was closing fast. From each paw it unleashed two scimitar-like claws. Magicians were running helter-skelter, making for the windows, the door, for anywhere at all, accompanied by their host of shrieking imps. Then, something happened to the Ifrit. To Nathaniel, it was as if, looking at the Ifrit's reflection in a pond, and the water surface was suddenly disturbed. The Ifrit seemed to shatter, its form splitting into a thousand quavering shards that were sucked toward a section of air above the podium. A moment later, they were gone. The black bear genie stopped paddling forward. Its claws were drawn back out of sight. Very subtly, it went into reverse. The, the fly buzzed loudly against Nathaniel's ear, shouting in pure panic. It's happening! It cried. Can't you see it? But Nathaniel saw nothing. A woman ran past, mouth open in panic. Her hair was a pale shade of blue. Next section, Bartimaeus. The first thing most of them noticed was the Ifrit. Yes, that was the spectacular one, the real curtain raiser. But, in fact, plenty had been going on in the previous seconds. The Ifrit was unlucky, that was all. In her haste to destroy the threat to her master, she got too close to the, she got too close to the rift. The split in the air was about four meters in length and only visible on the seventh plane. Perhaps a few of the imps glimpsed it, but none of the humans could have done so. <sighs> it was a nice, clean vertical sort of rift, but diagonal, with jagged edges as if the air had been torn like thick, fibrous cloth. From my prison, I had watched it form. After the first flicker above the podium, the air had vibrated, distorted wildly, and finally, stepping along that line. Footnote number but, four. 
Unless they noticed a faint gray smudge along the line of the rift. This was where the light was draining away, being sucked into the other place. Footnote number five. It was the old chewing gum principle in action. Image pulling a strip of chewed gum between your... Imagine pulling a strip of chewed gum between your fingers. First, hold, first it holds and stretches. Then it gets thin somewhere near the middle. Finally, a tiny hole forms at the, ti- at the thinnest point, which qu- quickly tears and splits. Here, Lovelace's summoning had done the pulling with some help from the thing on the other side. As soon as the rift appeared, the changes had begun. The lectern on the podium altered. Its substance turned from wood to clay, then to an odd orange metal, then to something that looked suspiciously like candle wax. It sagged a little, as if melting along one side. A few blades of grass grew from... Let me start over. A few blades of grass grew up from the surface of the podium. The crystal drops of the chandelier directly above it turned to water droplets, which hung suspended for a second in position, shimmering in many colors, then fell to the floor as rain. A magician was running toward a window, each line of the pinstripe on his jacket undulated like a sidewinder. No one noticed these first minor changes, or a dozen similar others. It would take the Efreet's fate for them to cotton on. Pandemonium filled the room, with humans and imps squeaking and gibbering in all directions. As if oblivious to this, Lovelace and I watched the rift. We waited for something to come through. And thus ends chapter 41 of the Amulet <laughs> of Samarkand. Ooh. Okay. I am. So, first thing I wish to note from a writing narrative <clears throat> point of view, mm-hmm. this is the first time where we've had multiple uh, shifts in perception yes. in one chapter. Yes. And this shows how serious it is. It also shows how fast pace is going, because usually it bre- it's breaking up into different chapters. Mm-hmm. However, by putting it all into one chapters, it shows the urgency of the situation and the fact that something big is happening, something big is coming, yes. mm-hmm. and that it couldn't be put into separate chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it keeps the continuity of the scene while also giving us all the different angles, or as many mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah. As many as uh, one can stand without overwhelming the reader. Mm-hmm. On another thing, um, sadly, this proves he does not care for Amanda because he's the only one safe in that room. And yep. Amanda was in the room giving the speech before yep. he appeared. Yep. Yep. But also there was other people in the room helping by removing the carpet. Were there? So do they think they're safe? Wasn't there? There was someone pulling the carpet away. It, no, was either... it, it didn't oh, say somebody ahead. was pulling the carpet away. It just said the carpet was pulling back. I just He was seeing the image like drifting <clears throat> under his feet, basically. Alright, yeah. so something was pulling the carpet away. Yeah, probably some other imps that Lovelace may have summoned. Um, if nothing else. But yeah, so Lovelace does not care for Amanda. Doesn't um, really care about anyone but himself. Nope. 
Like Drew um, Villain. Bartimaeus is scared. Yeah. yeah. Bartimaeus oh, is... Oh, hell yeah. Bartimaeus, I wouldn't say he's terrified, but he is most definitely scared. We have never before and seen his so. essence shiver like that. Well, it, we were hmm. already guessing that he was going to attempt to summon something big, but then it said, oh, he can't summon something big. He needs a pentacle to do that. Otherwise, Atlantis happens. So he's... And I one. thought, yeah, he's summoning something big. Yeah. Apparently... Okay, so here's the thing, though. Things are happening to the people around them. Mm-hmm. Like a woman with blue hair and something happening to the pinstripe thing. Now, that is chaos and discord. I am wondering if he is trying or in successfully summoning possibly the... Okay, so this is the first one I think of because Greek mythology. Um, Eris, who is the Greek mm. god, goddess of discord and chaos. And it could also, it, there's definitely something, like, what's on the other side, It I, I can't even, like, like there's so many different options, uh -huh. mm -hmm. but um, it definitely felt like when he was describing, like, um, like, certain things, like, melting and changing and then grass growing, it almost felt like there was some, like, timey, whiny bullshit going on in there. So, like, yeah, it, it's, there's some, yeah. See, at first, when we, when he started this thing, I'm like, is he, like, gonna drop, drop the chandeliers on everyone? <laughs> like, is that how he's gonna kill them all? So, going yeah. with the Egyptian themes of, uh, some of the stuff that's been going on, or, uh, some of the Middle Eastern things, the Egyptian god of chaos is Seth, or Seth. Oh, oh, that'd be bad. That'd be bad. Set is like one of the people that tries to be a destroyer of the world. The god of chaos, violence, deserts, and storms. In the Osiris myth, he is the murderer of Osiris in some versions of the myth. He tricks Osiris into laying down in a coffin and then seals it shut. Set's appearance poses a problem to Egyptologists. So that is an Egyptian god of chaos. Let's take a look at... Uh, what was that? Ancient Mesopotamian? Ancient yeah. Mesopotamia. Yeah. He is the Egyptian god of war, chaos, and storms, brother of Osiris, Isis, and Horus, the elder, uncle to Horus the younger, and brother, husband to Nephetheus. Yeah, it gets weird in there. Here's the thing. When you get into any pantheon that has a bunch of gods in it it starts to get weird look at oh, zeus yeah. his mm -hmm. wife is technically his sister yep uh huh. do the, Mes um, the mesopotamians even have like a lot a, pan a, a known pantheon now uh, there is a Wikipedia page that lists uh, Mesopotamian deities. Um, let's see here. Uh, Anu, Nunamia. Oh, 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 dang. Uh, Tiamat. Yeah, there was a Google link asking if Tiamat was an actual uh, historical deity. The Mesopotamian goddess associated with primordial chaos and the salt sea. 
best known from the Babylonian epic Enuma Elish. Huh. Which uh, is, once again, Babylonian. Sure. Uh, let's see. God of the Babylonian, God of the Assyrian, scribes and writing, uh, Lord of Wisdom, God of the Sun, uh, Goddess of Love, Mother Goddess. Well, it's well, just... Go ahead. It, it doesn't have to just be a god, though. We're saying god because it's big. Yeah, a deity. I, I looked up the list of de- Mesopot- um, ancient Mesopotamian deities. There's like like also like like demons and general monsters and titans. Like there's all kinds of other like fuck well, your shit up things yeah. in mythology that aren't. Well, here's the gods. thing too. They said Tiamat in so, the Mesopotamian god, and as we know, for people who like follow Dungeons and Dragons, Tiamat is like the evil chromatic dragon god. Mm-hmm. I would like to draw your attention for a moment. Draw your attention, yes. Tiamat is a primordial being, according yeah. to this list. Mm-hmm. What What do you wish to draw our attention to? Can somebody find the description of the podium and read that out, please? Oh, yeah, uh, I can do it. do it. Okay, yeah, you do. Give that. me a second. It's near the beginning, right? The podium as it began to sh- as it began to shimmer and shift as it was caught yeah. in that rift. Yeah, it caught in the rift, the tear, the rift, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. Bartimaeus that describes it. There we go. The le- near the end, the land. Yeah, the, yeah. No, near after the fifth footnote. Okay, after the fifth footnote. Um, as soon as the rift appeared, the changes began. The lectern on the podium altered. Its substance turned from wood to clay, then to an odd orange metal, then to something that looked suspiciously like candle wax. It sagged a little, as if melting along one side. A few blades of grass grew from the subs- from the surface of the podium. Your podium is no longer a podium. Whatever is coming through that rift is changing the very nature of it. Oh. Yeah, so that's what I mean. That's, I guess, sort of what I meant by, like, timey-wimey, like, alchemy. Like, I'm getting, like, like alchemy vibes right. as well. It's basically changing the... It's almost as if it's changing the fabric of reality. There you go. Because, like, from a wooden podium to a mound of, like, clay, earth, and grass. Jay's redeemed a posture check. Oh. Sorry. I mean, can, to so, me, that sounds like something, like, like degrading, like something that you would see happen over, like, a very mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not giving anything mm-hmm. away, but I will say <clears throat> it is the very essence, it is showing the very essence of chaos. Yeah. So it's definitely something having to do with chaos and discord then. This is chaotic mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. Which, unfortunately, given the fact that, I mean, good for Jonathan Stroud, he's had multiple different pantheons mentioned throughout this whole thing, doesn't narrow down our search. Really doesn't. We're just going to have to wait and see, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, even if you look like uh, Rick Ryden, who does the Percy Jackson series, the Kane Chronicles, um, the Heroes of Olympus series, he does his, like, research into mm-hmm. a lot of them. Mm-hmm. 
But the issue is, though, when you start to get into all those different pantheons and you have it all in one universe, Mm -hmm. it's hard to determine who's the big bad evil guy. Oh, yeah. And in this one, we can't tell who the big bad evil guy is because we know for a fact that apparently Atlantis... uh, Kablooey. Went Kablooey because they didn't follow through on that. I'm wondering, then, if this is the similar being that was tried to summon from Atlantis. (laughs) Let me do a oh, quick boy. search here. Give me one second. I mean, that wouldn't be so far-fetched, especially if it's, like, a a known thing, like, in terms of, like, hey, don't do this, because this is what happened to Atlantis. Don't summon this dude. Yeah. I like how whenever there's, like... Anything of that level. I like how whenever there's, like, anything bad happening, and it's just, like, don't be like them from Atlantis. <laughs> we don't talk about Atlantis. No, no. We don't talk about Atlantis. Uh, apparently, though, it was close enough to Egypt that Bartimaeus felt it. Tidal wave. Yeah, like, watch the tidal wave. It's like, oh, oh, damn. Hmm. What the fuck? Uh, Atlantis, also known as Atlan- Atlantis or Atlantica, a legendary island in the Atlantic Ocean lying west of the Strait of Gibra- Gibraltar. Principal source of, yeah, that the principal source of the legends are two of Plato's dialogues, Tiamas and Critias. I am butchering that because I don't speak Latin. The only Latin I know is audio, video, disco. I hear, I see, I learn. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Disco Discovery. Okay. I don't see mm-hmm. much of anything when it comes to Atlantis and the Bartimaeus trilogy. Probably because it's like a throwaway line. I yeah. That would be a good question to ask uh, Jonathan Stroud if we ever do get a chance to interview him. What in happened the... to Atlantis? Put it in the channel. <laughs> I will, however, tell you watching you guys try and stumble through this is absolutely fucking hilarious. Did we at least get start to get on the right You're track? You're not even in the right ballpark! So, all right, so we're looking, is it a different pantheon? Blaze. Blaze. Hmm? Blaze. I I see that. Love you. Okay, so it's chaos base. I don't know what pantheon this is dealing with. I have no frame of reference. Yeah, I'm cool with with just finding out when it comes up. Yeah, but the issue is we won't find out until next time we start reading again. We have. Oh, oh, hold on. I might. Hold on. I might actually have a frame of reference. Give me one second. Uh, I have no idea what the fuck that's. That's not a reference. Never mind. Whoops. Uh, did I have another note? I think I had another note. That's um, that's what. Okay, that's why. <laughs> you won't find reference to what's coming up anywhere in any pantheon. It appears that Jonathan Stroud may have invented this. Oh, so we won't even get it. Nice, I'm all for it. But I cannot it's... wait for you guys to see what's coming up. It's going to be a girl, like a little girl. It's going to be Kitty. 
Kitty's the ultimate evil being summoned right now. Kitty's um, the primordial being that's yep. bringing um, another the thing, world. Um, so since magic has been more developed in this world as opposed to the usual, like, uh, science and stuff, that means that most likely Jin are used as nuclear powers around the world. Possibly. So instead of threatening nuclear war, they're like, no, we'll throw our Jin at you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> alright. It makes, me, it makes me okay. So wait, have we gone over if the prime minister is actually the prime minister of England or is it the prime minister of the ministry? Mm, we have not gone over or looked into that further. Is yet. that is that like is it like a difference or is it like? Uh, I I think that could that could yeah that could be interpreted either way. I don't recall it being like really straightforward with this one because it's like yeah. the leader of the of the mag magical community mm -hmm. i would imagine it would make sense to have two acting ministers there is the prime minister of the mundane or the uh what was it the commoners the commoners the, the prime minister of the commoners and then there is the prime minister of the magicians and they work together to make sure to basically keep things in balance. I would use work together being very loosely, I mean, given how normal people, how the magicians view commoners. Yes. Oh, Rupert Devereux was the British Prime Minister of the Magician British Empire in the Bartimaeus Trilogy, gaining his position because his master killed his predecessor. Oh, so that seems to be fairly traditional in this case. Just about. That's how you get the job. The government of Britain, and he runs the magical government. He's both. Oh, oh. yeah. So wait, is it just like? The Prime is Minister it just like? Runs the magical community and the normal communities as well. So it is like with Organization Thirteen in Bleach, where you kill the captain and you become the captain. Yeah, pretty much. Except you don't. In in this case. You go by any means to kill the captain because in in Bleach you have to be the one to do it yourself in order to become captain. Yes. Whereas in this case it's a little bit more um, Game Magic. of Thronesy. Yeah. I go. mean, is it really a tradition though when it comes to the Gotai thirteen to the the thirteen? Because like it was only like there's only been two captains, Unahana and Kempachi. <laughs> I, I think it's still a thing, like, if you beat the previous captain, you become the captain. I think that's a thing with, like, all of them. No. No? Is, no, is it just 13? Yeah. It, yeah, it's just 13. That's that. The Prime Minister mm -hmm. of England, uh, Devereux's power came... Uh, hold on a second. Devereux's power came not from his magical ability, which was implied to be not as great as some of his colleagues, but rather from his charisma and eloquence of speech. Um... And he, uh, oh, that's interesting. He's a bard. He's a bard. Yeah, up for debate. Mm. Wait, you said he got it through speech and charisma. That's a bard. Yeah, unless he's college. like a unless, college of eloquence bard. Yeah, unless he's using yeah. magic to be that way. You think? You found something out in his wiki, didn't you? Stop it. Do we need to have a ban on looking things up in the wiki? Nope. I'm not. I'm not giving. Books? I'm not giving anything away. I'm not giving anything of importance away. I know, but it but it takes away the surprise for you as we're reading it. Yeah. At this point, 
at, at this point, like, I'm deep diving for information. It's what I do with a new series. I'm okay. lucky. Uh, like, I, I feel fortunate that you, Blaze, in particular, have grown to love this world and this book and the beginning of the series enough to not care about that because you, you've mentioned to me off air uh, that normally you hate spoilers. I absolutely detest spoilers in most situations. Concurred. However, this series has sparked something. Okay, so ignoring the fact of what D&D class Devereaux might be until we find out later. Um, Stop it. You guys, talk, you guys talk. I need to read. Ignoring the fact that Devereaux might be a bard until we read further into the series. Blaze! We know for a fact that apparently he has enough charisma in order to get the role, even though he did have to kill his previous predecessor. However, that means either his previous predecessor was not as strong as he is, because it's heavily implemented that you need to pay you a very strong uh, magician in order to kill predecessors or anyone of a higher power than you, or he was of higher power and Devereaux did some sneaky, sneaky rogue shenanigans. Or it well, could just be that his predecessor was hated by everyone so nobody cared about that well it was also mentioned as blaze put it uh what blaze found Devereaux's master was the one that killed his predecessor oh so then it just handed to him then okay my, my mistake um so it's like passed down uh, yes and no uh like what you said lady punnett the rogue sneaky sneaky bullshit that would be where the where Devereaux's master came in. Much like how uh, Lovelace and his master were planning to off Devereaux, Devereaux pretty much did the same thing to the last prime minister before him. So basically he's like a master. So his, his predecessor was a mastermind bard. He's some sort of charisma-based class. And Bartimaeus is a druid. Yeah. Yep. Trickster druid. Trickster druid. Arcane trickster druid. Oh, mm. that's, that's gorgeous. Well, you know, when it comes to... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, like, when it comes to, like, how this... Because this was a fairly long chapter. We had all the, the switching point of views yep. and everything else. Um... But it's definitely left us in that, like, it's very cliffy. Like, this is probably the biggest cliffy so far, I, I would feel. Um, when it comes to the chapter itself, do we have anything mm. else of what um, we think is going to happen next? Well, we have the fact that this person, the thing that is being summoned is eminently pure chaos. Um, Jessica was described as a cadaver of cheekbones, meaning she's a very willowy person. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently relatively high level because Bartimaeus said some of the smarter ones like Jessica were summoning their higher leveled ones yeah but Jessica issue... fucking got a bear that can do sights for claws the, the thing I'm thinking of though most of all is the fact that they all can't leave because there's iron covering the uh Windows, the and doors, stuff. and the yeah, the, the windows, windows are covered and spelled. The doors are locked and spelled. Through the window, 
to the wall. Why is no one so just trying to... Drop that well, wall. actually, no. If I'm, I was going to say, why don't they just try breaking the pentacle circle? Then that would, like, kill everybody in, like, a hundred mile radius. They're going to do that, aren't they? Blaze, don't Blaise you be looking at Blaze's got a big smile. Blaze got a big smile the second I said it. Don't be looking at us in that tone of voice. Actually, I'm just sitting here thinking how far off the mark you are. Lovely. Uh, well, <laughs> at the very least, we know Bartimaeus isn't going to die because he's the na ma main character. In the series. Mm-hmm. You don't kill off the main character. What's wrong with you? Is he the main character? Uh, it's named the Bartimaeus series. Yep. Is he the, the main Bartimaeus character? Tr I can say that could be debatable. He is main character who is able to share the stage. You don't have enough information on which to make that call. Oh. That uh... being said, we are willing to wait for that information as we read. Unlike some people. Listen here, you. No! <laughs> So I guess we'll have to wait till next time, huh, guys? Next week. I don't really got anything else I can think of to that, discuss about the chapter. On that note, I think this is a really good place to end this uh, this uh, episode. Uh, episode 56 of the Idiot Book Nook and Chapter 41 of the Amulet of Samarkand. Thank you very much to you all for coming to join us today for this episode. Uh, if you'd like mm -hmm. to follow us on socials, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You'll be able to find links to our Twitch, to our YouTube, uh, to our podcast feeds, to our socials, and all of that jazz. Mm -hmm. If you're watching on Twitch, just stick around for a couple of minutes. Uh, but if you are listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube for episode 56 of the Idiot Book Nook, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we, I'm Critter Shy. And we will see you next episode.